0: Hebrews chapter 11 this morning we are looking at chapter 11 verses 23 through verse 40 lots of cover chapter 11 verse 23 all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 40 I will read to you our scripture lessons and then we'll jump in Hebrews chapter 11 Bibles in the back if you don't have one reading from the ESV uh, English Standard Version is what we regularly use here Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the approach of Christ greater well than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the danger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he, Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What more shall I say? For times would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept false release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others mocked suffering and flogging. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering around in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on the earth. Verse 39, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect, complete. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Now, just to be sure that we're not here till 3 o'clock, we're not going to go into every single detail of all these stories and circumstances of these men and women of faith, but we'll look at them briefly, and I hope we can draw some principles of what what faith looks like, what faith uh, does, how faith acts. These men and women, along with chapter 11, uh, were given to us as examples, words of encouragement to remain faithful. They were given to us not to build monuments. I mentioned this last week, build trophy cases too. They were meant so to, to see the beauty and glory of the object of their faith, and his name is Jesus. Remember the book of Hebrews written to Jewish congregation of Christ's followers who were being tempted to go back to the old ways to relating to God, to communing with God, and the author's been showing us over and over that that Jesus is sufficient, he's supreme, he's superior, that anything the world could offer us, all the riches and glories of this world could compare to the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. And now that Jesus has come, remember the Old Testament, we looked so much at this, was pointing to the coming Messiah, but now that Jesus has come, he's lived a life, a perfect life. He, he died an atoning death. He rose gloriously from the dead. Hebrews tells us that we now have this unlimited access to confidently come before the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and grace and help in the time of need. Chapter 4, verse 16. So illustration, illustration, example after example, preserving the fi- faith, Um, You know, fight the good fight, Paul would say. Remain faithful, even in hard times, even in difficulties, even in in, in persecutions. And this chapter called the Hall of Faith, chapter 11, wasn't given to us in a vacuum, right? Remember in chapter 10, we were given a warning not to apostate, not to to fall away, not to walk away, not to renunciate, uh, to turn our back on the faith. Chapter 10, and in the end of chapter 10, we hear the words, these words, encouraging words. The writer says this, but we are not of those. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We're not those who apostate or walk away, who turn our back, who run to old things. No, we're not not one of those. We are are those who have faith, chapter 10, verse 39, "and, and persevere or preserve their souls. We have faith. We are the ones who have faith. He tells us faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for. Hope. Not the hope of no more Yankees getting hurt. It's ridiculous. Not that kind of hope. We don't know. But the assured hope, the conviction of things not seen. We're sure that God said God will do what God has said he will do. Trusting who he is, trusting his promises, trusting his word, trusting his, in his character. And the author says that it, without that kind of faith, it's impossible to please God for we must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek Him, diligently seek Him, the NAS says. And the ultimate reward of seeking Him is what? His personal presence. And up to now, this author has been encouraging us with these Old Testament saints. From the book of Genesis, we've been looking in chapter 11. There was Abel, son of Adam and Eve. Enoch, the faith of Noah. The faith of Abraham, verse 8, is introduced, the father of the faith. And his wife, Sarah, her faith as an encouragement to press on to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And the author has given us all these Old Testament examples and illustrations to help us press on in the faith. And he ended in chapter 11, verse 22. In Gen, and excuse me, he ended in, chap, in, in Gen, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, actually ended there through the book of Genesis. That's what he's been walking us through, through the book of Genesis. And where we pick up is where Genesis ends and Exodus picks up. And the author's not done. It's like, a, it's like a, an Old Testament survey class. <laughs> You're learning about the Old Testament figures uh, uh, and how faith and, and their stories of their faith and illustration. That's what really chapter is all about, a, a walk through the Old Testament. So we leave Genesis by talking about Joseph and his bones in chapter 11, verse 23, and we pick up in chapter 11, verse 23 with Moses. Excuse me, chapter 11, 22. So, As we get into this text, there's four things that I hope we can see about faith. First is faith to reject the world, the things of this world. Faith in the unseen, some things that God has spoken that we need to trust him in. Faith to conquer adversaries, there are struggles and strongholds that we must attack or at least believe God to help us overcome, and then finally faith in suffering. That's where we're at. So first let's look at faith, excuse me, faith in the unseen. Actually, you can go back. I don't have my uh, pointer. You can go back to number one, that would be good. Faith to reject the world, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, so just some context here. Can you go back to the first slide? Genesis closed with Joseph dying. If you remember the story, Joseph was the son of Jacob. He was sold by his evil brothers into slavery and by God's good providence, he took that evil deed and Joseph was, became second in command in Egypt. Jacob and his sons back in Canaan, went through a severe famine and they were going to die. There was no food. They heard there's food in Egypt. So Jacob and his sons go to Egypt to find food and what they find there is Joseph, second in command. And he's able to feed his family, take care of his dad, take care of his brothers, and all the Israelites live through this famine that was happening back in Jerusalem, back in Canaan. Joseph was second in command. He was, he was Pharaoh's right-hand guy in Egypt. And that's how the story closes in Genesis. But Exodus opens up with these words. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Dun, 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 dun. Right, if it was Jaws, that's what it would look like. <laughs> Things got bad immediately. Not only they were placed in slavery, but the king said, you know what, you Jewish people are getting too much, uh, uh, you're growing too fast, there's too many kids, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have all the Jewish boys who were born in Egypt killed. We're going to start killing children, does that sound familiar? So after Moses is born, they're like, "Nope." We're going to hide him in a basket, and we're going to set him adrift in the Nile River, trusting this child, Moses, to the Lord's care, to the Lord's providence, to, 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 to see, to hope and pray, and to have faith that God would provide. And as a result of God's providence, the Moses was found by who? You know the story, Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses was raised in a royal household. Now, in verse 23, it says that he was beautiful. And all the mothers are going, of course they were. All babies are beautiful. I don't think that's what it means, although he he probably was. But Moses was chosen and had a particular distinct destiny to bring the children of Israel out of slavery. A specific task given to him by God. And I think that has something to do with it here. And, And for that reason, The the providence of God and what God was going to do, they were not afraid, it says, to disobey the king's edict to cast all the Hebrew boys into the Nile River. We're not doing it. If we get caught, we're in trouble. We're not doing it. They trusted God. They trusted God. Here's the first principle. There are times in our life, there are times when we are asked by the things of this world, by the people of this world, to violate the clear command of God. And we must, by faith, say no. Right? The high priest brought all the apostles together, Peter and the apostles, and they said, man, didn't we tell you to stop talking about Jesus? You didn't listen. And they said what? We must obey God rather than man. Like, we hear what you're saying, no. No. God has said his will, his word is clear. Moses' parents said, we're not, we're, we're not killing him. Verse 24, it goes from Moses' parents who had faith to Moses himself. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses refused to be identified with the major power of the world, and that's kind of a title, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he was determined not to be identified with Egypt, even though he went through all kinds of you know, Egyptian education, wealth, royal status. He rejected that inheritance to choose rather to share in the oppression of God's people to share in the oppression of God's people rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses could have just sat back and enjoyed the riches and the pleasantries, the very comfortable life, but he just could not sit back in that life while his fellow brothers were treated poorly, brutally, and enslaved. He rejected the limelight. For him, there was no in-between. Some people in Scripture we see were, were, were brought up, in, even Joseph, in this royal, plush culture, society, and they were able to serve the Lord. But Moses, to, Acreance, to an easy life, for him it involved apostasy. It involved turning his back on the true God, following after the pleasures of Egypt, the gods of Egypt, the life of pleasure and sin. He refused it. family, wealth is not evil. The love of money is evil, but money is not evil. The love of money is evil, and here's, here's, here's a principle I think we could draw from this. Moses was unable, listen, Moses was unable to use those riches, that wealth, for the glory of his God, and therefore he said, no, thank you, no, thank you. And so by faith, so by faith, Moses understood he was choosing either King Pharaoh or the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that was his choice. Have you ever faced in your life, you could talk about this in a community group, where something may have been pleasurable, something of this world, but in order to have it, you, you, you sense this allurement to bowing down to it, Becoming more than just a thing, but becoming an idle thing. We face those things. Maybe certain jobs, relationships, money, power, pleasure, even economic or educational status can be all good things, but some of those things can actually cost us our devotion to Christ. That becomes an idle thing. And make no mistake, sin is appealing. That's what it says, it's pleasurable. If sin wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't be doing it, right? Here's what Moses saw, and I think we need to see by faith, too. The greatest treasure in the universe is Christ. Even if it means giving up stuff, and we all have those things that, we, that, that, that draw our heart away from our devotion to Christ, it may be one thing for you, one thing for you, one thing for me, but he refused and he said, my greatest treasure is God himself. Even, even with, came with it disdainment, uh, hatred. Look at verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Verse 26. John Piper writes this. Walking by faith means defeating sin's pleasures with the promise of a superior pleasure in God, end quote. The Apostle Paul was a man of, of great pedigree. He, he was a tribe of Benjamin. He, he grew up in very good schools. He was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. He was very self-righteous, followed the law impeccably, blameless, he says in Philippians chapter 3. I mean, he's the man. He had it all. Chapter 3, verse 7. After all that, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing worth of Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, dung, In order that I may gain Christ, and now listen, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the law, by your moral standard, by patting yourself on the back, by your own strength, all your deeds, but the righteousness that comes, but that which comes through faith, righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he's saying to know Christ, to be clothed in his righteousness is worth more than all that stuff. You see, by faith, Moses saw the beauty and incalculable worth of Christ, a beauty that never fades, a joy that never diminishes, a glory that shines with radiant light. He didn't know Christ personally, but he identified with Christ, it says, through the suffering and through his, redemp- through, through his redemption, deliverance of the people of Israel, through the Exodus. Therefore, his suffering is part of our salvation because it points to, the redemptive work of Christ. And you could see why Moses would be a, a perfect illustration, a, a, a perfect example of encouragement to the Jewish people who are receiving this letter who are being tempted to abandon the faith, to possibly go back to avoid persecution, to, 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 to be back in, a, in good favor with others, the security and social acceptability of this world. He's saying, don't go back. Look at Moses. Cling to the things that are imperishable. Be, be prepared to bear the abuse for the sake of the anointed of the Christ. I mean, keep your eyes forward, right? Looking to the reward, verse 26. Again, the apostle Paul, I, I just see so many um, parallels between this verse and Paul. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians after, looking, after saying, you know, I've been afflicted but not crushed and persecuted but not struck down. All these things happen to me, he says in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Ain't that true? Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that Far outweigh all the things that are going on in my life. So fix your eyes on what, listen, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Not temporal reward, an eternal reward. Not a a reward that passes away, a reward that is eternal, uh, 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 eternal. So the man of faith, we we could say, chooses the way of obedience and suffering not by constraint, but willingly, joyfully, knowing that there's a reward. Thomas Aquinas writes this. Look into the ultimate goal of eternal happiness on which their hope is fixed. Choose affliction and poverty rather than riches and pleasures because the latter, riches and pleasures, hinder the pursuit of the hoped-for goal. Sometimes that's what happens. Again, that's why I hate the prosperity gospel. Their hope is in what they get. Our hope is in what is coming. The glories. The glorious reward of salvation. The final blessing that was earned by Christ but inherited by the believer at the end of life. And the greatest reward, I, I, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about rewards. You could do a, search on the ESV website or just looking at Concord. You could the Bible has a lot to say about rewards, but I, I have to say, with everything that the Bible speaks about, what could be greater than Jesus? Being with him, we're talking about it in community group this week. As glory and beautiful as heaven is, is nothing compared to Jesus. Nothing compared to Jesus. Verse 27 By faith he Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So if you're in a community group and you're talking about that, um, I just so you know, um, by faith he left Egypt could either mean he left, when he left after the Passover, which is the next verse, kind of coming out of chronological order, when he left Egypt, when he left after the Passover and he left with the people of Israel and he left the land of Egypt, or which I think it does, by faith he left Egypt is when, if you know the story, Moses rolls up on, uh, on, a, on an Egyptian and a Hebrew fighting and what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. And the very next day he rolls up with, uh, must be people be fighting, I don't know, maybe it's an MMA cage nearby, I don't know, but two other Jews are fighting and he steps in between them and they're like, what are you gonna do, kill us like you did yesterday with the Egyptian? That's in Exodus chapter two. And Moses says this, when, uh, uh, then Moses was afraid And thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. So there was a time in which Moses actually left that area in Egypt because Pharaoh found out. Hebrews chapter 11 says he wasn't afraid, Exodus chapter 2 says he was afraid. So there's the conflict. So just so you know, here's what I think. I think in Exodus chapter 2, after he stepped in and, and killed that Egyptian, and it says that he was afraid. It doesn't say he left Egypt because he was afraid. It just says he was afraid and he left Egypt. I believe what our author is pointing to in Hebrews chapter 11 is that, sure, he was afraid, but he left not because of that. He left because of faith. He believed that God was going to do something through him and had to just leave there and talk with God. That's why it says that he, went, he left and he sat down by a well. He was seeking the face of God. That he had faith. He believed God. And that was an act of faith. Listen. Faith is trusting and treasuring Christ above all earthly treasures. Genuine faith is expressed in a willingness, listen, To reject the fleeting pleasures of this world when they conflict with our devotion to God. He takes supremacy. He he takes our complete and total devotion. We must continue as children of God to see the beauty and worth of Christ as our eternal hope and not be lured away from the things of this world. Faith to reject the world. Faith in the unseen. Now verse 28 Although verse 28 talks about Moses, faith, it does, but it does involve the whole nation, which we'll see in a minute, all right? He was going to keep the Passover, But, but what I wanted to see about this, I was thinking through this weekend, is imagine being there the first Passover, right? You really don't know what's going to happen. God's coming down to judge, and you've been told something that you've never done before, But you got to trust what you do not see. Look at verse 28. By faith he, that's Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So it wasn't just Moses. It was all of Israel. And if you know the story, just really quickly, 10 plagues, the final plague was the death of the firstborn. All the firstborn male died, and, and not only man, but beast. And God provided a way of salvation for his people. They were directed to Mo, through Moses to every family, take a slaughtered lamb, slaughter a lamb, take his blood with some hyssop, which is a plant, and, and, and dip it in the blood with the plant and place it on the door, door stops and the sides of the homes. And the, the blood from the substitutionary lamb that was slain on that first Passover meal would spare them from death. And that night when the angel of death, when God's judgment came down on the, on the earth, every family who did not have the blood on the doorsteps were killed, but all those who took refuge under the blood, under the sacrificial lamb, was spared. Sound familiar? I hope. It's a foreshadow of Christ who is our Passover, the New Testament tells us. Who died and shed his blood and all those who take refuge under the shed blood of the lamb will be spared. Put yourself on that night. Moses, bring all the heads of the family together. Go out, kill a lamb, take the blood. God's coming down, he's killing all the firstborn. We need to do what? Take the blood. Just, just, just trust God, right? Just trust God. God, God made a promise, he's coming down to judge, do as he says and we will be spared. Remember, we're not saved by good works, but but good works flow from a heart that trusts God. We we hear, we respond in obedience because of our trust in who he is. God spoke to Moses and if they did not respond in faith, what would have happened to those? Baby boys would have been dead. It's not like God said, you know what, I'm coming down, all the Jewish people are saved, all the blood. He said, no, everyone's going to die unless you take the blood, trust me, do as I say, and take shelter, you will live. You will live. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. So after their firstborn, if you know the story, it's a funny story because, well, it's not funny, right? Kids are dying, but After these children are dead, Pharaoh's like, get all the Hebrews together and let's give them a party. Get out of here. Pharaoh's like, listen, you can go. Not only can you go, here's all kinds of stuff to help you on your trip. Please get out of town. Leave now. What did they do? They left, of course. But the scripture says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and chased after them, if you know the story. And the people cried out against Moses. It's just, we're delivered. They cried out against Moses that they were gonna be destroyed as they were leaving Egypt. It just goes to show, and I got a little note here I wrote down on my paper, our faith wavers too, doesn't it? How many times have we seen the mighty hand of God and then turn around and doubt God? So before we judge, let's relate. That's just like us. And Moses turns to them and says this, fear not, Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you will see never see again. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. Stop crying. Stop whining. Trust the Lord. And we know the story. The Egyptians were, were pressing on. The Israelites were back. It was, they were going into a dark alley with a wall. Really, right up against the sea. Where are we going to go? And God, what does God tell Moses? Stretch out your hand. (laughs) And he divides the water. And he says, I will harden the hearts of Egyptians so they shall go in after them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. When they drown and die, it will bring me glory. You may have a hard time with that, but that's what the scripture says. Although the people needed this prodding and and this, this word of encouragement, They did believe. They did believe. As the water was spread, as it was divided, by faith, they started walking. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, you know what I mean? He said, trust me. I'm trusting. Every step I take is trusting. In John, the gospel according to John, Lazarus is dead. He's been in the grave for four days. Jesus shows up on the site of the gravesite, and he says to Martha, Lazarus' sister, he's been dead four days, take away the stone. Martha said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. King James, he stinketh. He'd been there for four days. Jesus said to her, I love this. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha, believe, Martha, have faith, and when you do, you will see the glory of God. Sometimes we want to see the glory of God, we want to see the work of God, so that we can have faith in God. I'm not saying that's always wrong, but in this occurrence, he's saying, no, 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 believe, and you will see the glory of God. It takes faith, a work of God in our hearts to see his glory in in the miraculous unseen reality. Like the persecuted Jewish people of that day, the only thing that's going to get you and I through our Egypt is faith, believing God's word about his promises, his future reward of himself trusting in the unseen. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. There's a difference between walking in faith in the unseen and walking in your own power and strength in what you see. Okay? Walking in faith in the unseen and walking in your own power and strength in what you do see. Think about the incident of the Red Sea. The Egyptians saw the same water be divided, that the path was opened up, one went through by faith in the unseen promises of what God said he would do. The others went through on what they saw through their own strength and power, trusting in their own achievements. One made it, one didn't. You may think this morning that you're, you know, you're going through life just fine. Get all you can, But destruction waits you if you are trusting in yourself and have not come to trust in Christ. He's the only one who can deliver you and redeem you from the penalty of sin, sin's destruction and eternal separation from him. So I can't see that. It's called faith. It's trusting what has taken place, what has been recorded for us, what has been historically accurate. The tomb is empty. Placing your faith in only what is seen is disastrous. Come to Jesus if you have not. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho (laughs) fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What a story. The 40 years have passed. The exodus, the crossing is done. Joshua has been given these words. Be strong and courageous. Moses is dead. Joshua's in control. God says, be strong and courageous. Be not frightened. Be not dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, Joshua. And then the test. As you enter the promised land, you see the walls of Jericho. And you're like, all right, we, we could take them. And God's like, oh, no, no, no. This is what we can do. Okay, Lord, I'm listening. You're going to march around the wall once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to shout. In fact, put your army in, put the Ark of the Covenant, and you're going around this wall once around the wall a day for six days. On the seventh day, you'll do it seven times, and then shout, and the wall will fall down. I just, just do that. Don't worry about the military. But I'm a military general. Uh, I, I know. Just believe. Just trust and as they're walking around this wall, you can you imagine they're walking around the wall every day, quiet, and the people from the, from, the, from, the, from the stronghold looking down on them. You can imagine what they're saying. Actually, we have it. Keep walking, but you won't knock down the wall. Keep walking. You know the story, right? It's plain to see your brains are very small, so keep walking. You're thinking you're knocking down the wall. That's from the Veggie Tales, if you don't know, okay? <laughs> and on the seventh day, The seventh time around, they shout, and what happens? The wall falls. All but one window. (laughs) One small section where there's this scarlet cord hanging out of the window. You see, before Joshua went in and and, and before the walls came crumbling down, he had sent spies in to the city, and the spies got caught that they were there spying. Can you imagine that? And the king's like, bring those spies to me. And there's a woman, her name is Rahab. And she's hiding them. Protects the spies, puts them on their roof. Tells the king and those people that they weren't there. She lied. You all can have fun with that on a community group. I'm not going there. (laughs) She said to the spies, listen, they're scared to death of you here. They're scared to death of you, but listen, I'll hide you. I'll keep you safe, but you have to provide a way of escape for me and my family. The spy said to her, look, hang a scarlet rope out of the window so that we will know you're there. Bring your family there, because we're not going to search you through the city looking for them. Bring everybody to the house. Don't tell on us, and when we destroy the city, we'll rescue you. As you know, the city was destroyed. Only Rahab and her family were spared. Do you know that this Canaanite prostitute, Rahab, then married Salmon, an Israelite from the tribe of Judah, her son was Boaz, the husband of Ruth, Joseph, the legal father of Jesus, direct descendant, in fact, if you read the genealogy of Jesus, you will see the Canaanite, Gentile prostitute, who by faith, believe that the God who is going to deliver Israel, that had delivered them in the Red Sea, will deliver them and give them the promise in which he said, the land of promise, that God who could deliver them can deliver me too, she said, and she believed. One commentator wrote this, Rahab's faith, despite her past sins, is uh, uh, contrasted with those who refuse to turn to God and obey him. God's work in history is not limited by human failures or sins. Thank goodness we wouldn't have no one to work with. And he works through ordinary people. Just as God used all kinds of people to bring his son, capital S, into the world. He uses all kinds of people today to accomplish his will, end quote. Rahab believed. I mean, Joshua and Rahab, think of the contrast. Joshua, a mighty military warrior, a male, a, a, an Israelite, a, 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 the one who came alongside and, and behind Moses. And then you have Rahab, a woman, a member of the cursed race, a prostitute, a citizen. There's so many things had that were not in common, but what did they have in common? Faith. Faith. Faith, the most important. Faith to trust God, to save, to believe even when it's unrealistic and unseen. Faith to reject the world, faith to, to believe uh, to, in the unseen, faith to conquer. We'll just go through these stories real quickly. What shall I say? I can keep going on, he's saying. For time will fail me to talk of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. We're made strong out of weakness, underline that become mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So, the, J- listen, Hebrews chapter 11 went from creation, verse three, chapter 11, verse three, through the story of Genesis into Exodus, into Joshua, and now he's in Judges. Old Testament survey class right here at King's Chapel. Gideon, one of the Israel judges known for conquering the Midianites with how many men? Three hundred. Three hundred. Remember, keeps dwindling down his army. He started at thirty-two thousand, and then he gets all these men. He goes, "Yeah, have him go get a drink at the spring. Whoever leans over like a dog and licks the water, that's the guy." Like, really? That's some way, dude. It like, doesn't matter if he could fight. Now, don't matter. Maybe there. Maybe you know. Just if, and there they are, lapping Three hundred men. He goes, "Those are the three hundred you take with you, right?" That, that's exactly what happened. And then, prompted by the prophetess Deborah, Barak leads. A, United tribes against Sisera, and a mighty Canaan army. All these people, Samson and and Jephthah from the book of Judges. Uh, Jephthah is is an interesting, you probably never, you know, maybe like, who's that guy? Look him up. Uh, He he made some foolish vows that cost his daughter's life. His faith wasn't perfect. He was born from a prostitute. He was unwanted. He was was an outlaw. Sounds like me. Outlaw. Just didn't want nothing to do with God. I wanted nothing to do with God. And yet he was a man of faith, fought against the Ammonites. Look at Samson. <laughs> Ain't no model of virtue. I'll tell you right there. He loved them girls, didn't he? <laughs> but he fought the Philistine. He ended his life by faith. And then we saw Samuel and, and David. We went through first and second Samuel. Samuel, the great prophet, who's the mouthpiece of God, spoke for God into a rebellious people. He was a judge, he was a prophet, he was devoted to God. He was, again, speaking the words of God to the people. He he was a man of faith who took Israel that was in a theocracy, a ruling under God, to a monarchy, ruling under kings. Very integral, very important place in the history of Israel. And then, of course, beloved David. Flawed beloved David. Young boy killed Goliath the giant by faith. Brought peace and prosperity to Israel. He was the, the type of Christ who pointed to the king of kings, greater David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these people had faith that enabled them to accomplish a lot. Because of the power and greatness of their God. Verse 33, they conquered kingdoms. Judges and, and David, they warriors, they administered justice. They gained, it says here, look at verse 33, they gained is it 33? Yeah, obtain promises, verse 33. There were some things that they saw, the promised land, victory, those things that they actually, that God had promised that they walked in and by faith it came to be and they saw the promises, not all of them, but they saw that. The promised land. Daniel saw the lion shut his mouth as, as the story goes on. Who's the one quenching of, quenching of the power of the fire? Could it be talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Maybe so adversaries that conquered adversaries like Elijah who, who escaped the sword, Jeremiah who escaped the sword. I don't know, lots of people the man could be talking about. Women received their dead, back their dead from the resurrection. That happened to Elijah and Elisha. But the point is, they trusted God. They relied upon God to overcome the adversaries who were up against them. And the point is, it's not what they did in particular. It is the one To whom they had faith in. They were they look look what it says made strong out of weakness. Made strong out of weakness. That's so important. That is so important. And uh, he's just saying to these to these Christians who are under persecution, listen. Look at the dependency and trust these folks had on God. H- how do we overcome obstacles and adversaries in our life is not by buckling up and, 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 and being your own warrior. It is humbly dependent upon the work and the power of Almighty God on your behalf. That's the point. God's people are to have faith in him and what he can do. Jesus said, you want to exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Humble yourself and you will be exalted. And finally, faith in suffering. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. Stones, sown in two, killed by the sword, went around in, in skins of sheep and goat. I guess that's not a good thing to do. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy of wandering about in deserts and mountain and in dens and caves and the earth. You see what the author's doing? If, if we just stop that verse 35, God will ri- divide that sea. God will provide your firstborn's life. God will, will do the impossible with the walls coming down. I mean, all the things that God will do on your behalf. Oh, by the way, faith also to suffer. Peachy keen and rosy life isn't all about faith, right? If the section were not here, people would say, you know what, have faith and you will not suffer. Have faith and everything will go well. Damnable gospel. It takes faith to endure trials. And he's speaking to this congregation, he's saying, God had delivered these folks, but you know what? No matter what, don't turn your back on Jesus. in the persecution, endure like your forefathers did. Endure, press on. The same faith that destroys adversaries, conquer kingdoms, dodges bullets, gains strength is the same faith to honor God, to love God, to worship God, to obey God through suffering and hardship and trials. How how do we do that? How do we we walk through suffering by faith? The apostle Peter wrote a letter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd Peter to a severely persecuted people. In chapter one, uh, in chapter one of 1 Peter, he says this. He says, be secure in your salvation. God has got you, right? 1 Peter chapter one. You're, you're kept in heaven. You're, you're, your inheritance is un, imperishable, undefiled. Then he says this. But for a little while, if necessary, there are going to be trials in your life so that the tested genuineness of your faith More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. In other words, you're gonna go through trials, you're gonna go through hardship, you're gonna go through difficulty to show its preciousness, its purification, its reality, and then he says this, why? To be found to result in praise and glory and honor At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him, he's writing to this persecuted church. Although you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you catch that? Be strong, be firm, be steadfast so that it results in the praise and glory and honor at the coming of Christ. Now listen, making my last point. There is an awakening of grace. Let me say it again. There is an awakening of grace to the supremacy, superiority, and sufficiency of Christ finished work through suffering. Real suffering releases the power and the grace of the gospel as we embrace the sovereignty of God that means he's able to bend and use all things to display his glory and work it for our good. And he's always doing that in the midst of suffering. Isn't that the gospel? Jesus, listen, God did not just permit Jesus to suffer and go to the cross. He purposed it. He did not just allow it. He designed it. He was not sitting back on his throne and saying, oh, i What are you doing to my son? I I didn't see that coming, but okay, you know what? If you have to do it, just do it. No. From the foundation of the world, it was God's design that his son would suffer, his only son would suffer to provide salvation for you and I. Now, we don't suffer as some uh, crazy person who can't deal with reality. But we recognize this very hard truth. And this will close. Suffering causes you and I to dig deeper into the grace of God. Suffering causes you and I to dig deeper into the grace of God. It is the main reason, the main way God uses it to conform us to the image of his son and how we experience the comfort and glorious, wonderful presence of God through his spirit. Suffering causes us and helps us to loosen the things of this world It is used in the delicate hand of God to show us his glory, his beauty. Look here at this last verse. All these, and all these, all the suffering, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Verse 40, since God had provided something what, family? What does that say? Something what? Better. That's our word. Something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The men and women of old died without receiving the promise of Christ. And the key word is better. Something better. We have something better. It speaks of the better things in Christ. A better plan, a better priest, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, better blood, a better home. The heroes of the faith were looking to that. So what makes Jesus beautiful? When in the darkest hour, in the most arduous pain, you declare, God is enough. God is enough. He is good. He is sovereign. He will take care of me. He will get me through this. God is good. Every moment that we, you and I suffer, every moment that you and I suffer as believers in the gospel, every moment in our pain and our suffering, God is what? With us. Psalm 73, 73, who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and the portion forever. I'm gonna invite the band up, and let let me just finish this here as the band gets ready to play. Listen to me, family. God has a purpose in our suffering because God is the object of our faith. He rewards us with himself. We can by faith, listen, trust him, We can by faith trust him so that the things of this world do not draw us away from Christ. We can have faith in God that that leads us even though we cannot see, we trust in God's promises. His commands are always good. We can have faith when we face insurmountable obstacles knowing that when we are weak, he is strong. We can have faith when we suffer knowing that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is shown to be our greatest treasure. Because he died for our sins, he rose from the dead, he secured a salvation for us. Now, as we were singing, and I'm thinking through the sermon and singing at the same time, and I'm looking at this table, and I'm thinking, How how can we take all this about faith and show the surpassing worth of Christ? And it dawned on me. If you don't see yourself, if I don't see myself, as an absolute sinner deserving hell and separation from God, as an affront to him and all my evil deeds, thoughts, motives, and actions, if I don't really understand how much vile that is before God, I will not understand his love, grace, and forgiveness. But if I understand what I deserve and then I understand what Christ has done, then I see the insurmountable worth of God. That nothing in this world, nothing in this world can separate me from the love of Christ in the gospel. You want to see the worth of Christ, the value of Christ? Know yourself as a f- sinner who deserves eternal separation from God. The wrath of God upon you that you absolutely deserve, and then look and see that Jesus Christ came and took and absorbed that wrath in your place, died for your sins, and now offers you eternal life and reconciliation with God for eternity, you will see the insurmountable, incalculable worth of Christ in the cross. And if you haven't come to that place, or maybe something you have forgotten i the band's gonna play. We're gonna spend some time in your seat just confessing sin. Maybe the things of this world has gripped your heart. Maybe, maybe you have a, 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 an adversary, an obstacle that you're doing on your own, whatever it is. Or maybe you never came to trust Christ before. Today's the day of salvation. Believe that you are a sinner. Believe that Christ died for your sins. Believe that Christ rose from the dead and all those who give their life, yield their life, trust in Christ will have forgiveness of sins. This table is a Christian table. All followers of Christ are invited to the table. If you're not a follower of Christ, then just sit back, pray. We'd love to talk to you. We're glad you're here, but it's a family table. So spend time confessing before you and the Lord and then celebrating, celebrating the work of Christ on your behalf and see his beauty and glory in the gospel. Father, not just in the quietness of our souls, God, we we acknowledge your greatness. We acknowledge that there is nothing in this world that is greater than you. There's no treasure we can attain that is greater than you. And Lord, we acknowledge our sin, but we also acknowledge your grace, which is greater than our sin. So God, as a people, we come with hearts of repentance, a turning from our sin, But we also come as your people celebrating the work of Christ. Help us to see the gospel, the beauty and glory and incalculable worth of Christ, which is greater than anything in all the universe. Thank you for his blood that was poured out, his body that was broken on our behalf. Lead us now, we pray, into repentance and celebration as we take up the Lord's Supper together in Jesus' name. Amen.